A copy of God's Word to Exodus chapter 14. Um, if you don't have your own Bible, we've provided some for you in the pew in front of you and then on the pew at the ends. And if you're using the pew Bible, you'll find this morning's text on page 71 in the large print ESV. Uh, just to let you know where we're heading, we're going to be spending um, this month and next month in Exodus. We're going to get the Israelites to Mount Sinai. And then we're going to take a break for a month in September, look at um, a chapter or so from the Gospel of Luke, we'll take a break. We're trying to take this in chunks, and uh, we'll take a break, look at Jesus for a while, and then we'll head back into Exodus for a couple months before Advent season. Uh, but let's pray and ask for the Lord's blessing. Lord, we do ask for your blessing upon the reading and preaching of your Word. Lord, you might move by your Spirit, strengthen our faith, increase our trust in you. We pray all these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. We're reading the entire um, chapter of Exodus chapter 14, perhaps the most well-known event in all of the Old Testament. Hear now the word of the Lord. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Pi Hahiroth, between Migdol and the sea, in front of Baal Zephon. You shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say to the people of Israel, They are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed towards the people. And they said, What is this that we have done, that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot and took his army with him and took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of uh, Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them, all of Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army, and overtook them and camped at the sea by Pi Hahiroth in front of Baal Zephon. When Pharaoh drew near, the people lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. The people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians." For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which He will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you only have to be silent. The Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. The people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the angel of God, who was going before the hosts of Israel, moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. 
And there was the cloud and the darkness. And it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. The people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horsemen, his chariots and his horsemen. And in the morning watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire and of cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, Let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen. Of all the hosts of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea, not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord. and They believed in the Lord and in His servant Moses. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. On a scale of 1 to 10, how do you think you're doing trust in the Lord? On a scale of 1 to 10, how do you feel like you're doing trusting God? I don't mean by this, are you trusting Him for salvation? I'm going to assume that. If you don't know the Lord, if you haven't trusted Him for salvation, the one takeaway today is that you should trust the Lord for salvation lest you become like the Egyptians under His wrath. But for the rest of us, who are the children of God, who have put their faith in Christ Jesus, have repented their sins and turned to Christ as the only way of salvation, how are we doing trusting the Lord? If you're like me, you have good days and you have bad. Perhaps good moments and bad moments. Some days your trust in the Lord is firm and you're filled with faith and, and you're ready to stand firm in the strength and power of His might. But, but then other days your faith and trust have trouble getting out of the bed in the morning. Our lives become the prayer of the Father of the Son with the unclean spirit. Mark chapter 9. I believe, help my unbelief. I believe, help my unbelief. That's where most of us live. As I've pointed out and many others, this is perhaps the well, most well-known event in all of the Old Testament. And there are a lot of ways that we could look at it. But my one desire this morning is that when we leave this place this morning, that we will be reminded that our God is worthy of trust. Let me tell you about a time when things looked impossible. Pharaoh had let the people of Israel go. Not willingly, as we well know. It had taken ten plagues, each worse than the one before, to convince Pharaoh to let God's people go. 
God had hardened his heart. Pharaoh has hardened his heart. His heart was hardened. The text tells us all three of those things. So that God might be glorified and have glory over Pharaoh when his people left Israel. They might be free. And it would be clear that God was the one who had done it. Upon leaving, as we saw last week, God took his people on the roundabout route. He sent them deeper into Egyptian territory rather than the fastest way to the promised land making what was a hard situation an even harder one. And in fact, at the end of our text last week, we see that God's people are encamped. Now, near a place that we don't know where it is. It's far into our ears. Pi Hahiroth. It's hard to even know how to say that from the, from the ESV, isn't it? I had to look it up or listen to it to, to figure out how to say it. But where are they? They're encamped by the sea. Their backs to the water. And God tells them, I'm going to do this so that I will have glory over Pharaoh. It was all according to God's plan. God told them this was how it was going to be. And they were called to trust him. You know, that's how things work, isn't it? When our our children, they they hit something hard. When there's something they can't do, or they think they can't do, a math problem potty training in our house right now. And we say, trust us. It's going to be all right. This is a small thing. We got this. It's going to be okay. And we wonder, why don't they just trust us? If only we would trust the Lord. I believe, help my unbelief. So God hardens the collective hearts of Pharaoh and his people. They say, man, we were really quite foolish About this time, as many commentators have said, this is when the the first um, stoppage reports would have been coming from the brick kilns, the great public works, their tools have been lying around. They think, man, we have lost our free labor. But instead of looking at the pockmarked ground from the hail, from the empty chairs at their tables, at the empty stalls in the field, And the mummified remains of their firstborn son, instead of looking at those things and saying, we really should leave these people alone. Their hearts are hardened by the Lord for His own glory, for His purpose. They might rush out and have national mobilization. They might go and kill or capture, probably capture, God's people. The Egyptians had a very powerful army. The text makes it clear that this was a a large group of people. In fact, the text calls it a host This is the same word that is used to describe the two to three million Israelites. This is a large group. Pharaoh got his chariot and the 600 choice chariots, the elite of the elite, and all the other chariots of Egypt, and their horsemen and their troops and and, and all the officers over them. Chariots were one of these, kind of like the M1 Abram tanks of the day. Uh, There would be between one and three people in a chariot. One to drive and probably two in the back with either spears, bows, or swords. They provided protection for those in the chariots. If you're in a chariot against a, a, a force that's just on foot like the Israelites, you are guaranteed victory. The Israelites could not stand up against this mighty army. And so we read in verse 10, the first part of it, when Pharaoh drew near, the, Egypt, the people of Israel rather lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. What an understatement. They feared greatly. Their, their backs are to the sea, to the Red Sea. 
And, and, and before them, even though they've been told this is going to happen, they look and, and here's, here's the cloud that is coming behind all of these, these chariots leading the way. And you can see the glint of, of bronze shields, the clatter of swords, the sound of the trumpets beginning to he- register on your ears, and the long baggage train for miles and miles behind. And you look down at your children, you know, my child's about to die. Best case scenario, some of us die and we get carried back into captivity, but this is going to be bad. There's nowhere to go. We shouldn't over-spiritualize this. This was a bad spot. This was an impossible situation. There was nowhere to go. They stood no chance against the Egyptian army. So what do they do? This is the last part of verse 10. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. It's a good thing, right? We should cry out to the Lord. This should be the first thing on our minds and our lips. Lord, help me. But we have so much in common with these Israelites because their trust was a mixed trust. Their faith was a mixed faith. Plenty of doubt, a little bit of belief. How do we know that? Because they cry out to Moses. Was it because there weren't enough graves in Egypt that you took us out here into the wilderness to die? Didn't we tell you, leave us alone that we might serve the Egyptians? Actually, that's nowhere recorded in the text. Sometimes we do that, right? When something goes bad and we remember a fleeting thought of doubt, we hang on to that and think, man, I told you so to make myself feel better. It was an impossible situation. A few months ago, my doctor told me that I had to start eating like an adult. Um, It's a terrible thing. Uh, So I started eating oatmeal. You know, Twinkies broken up over it. Uh, Just kidding. I started eating oatmeal because my cholesterol is a little bit high. And, uh, you know, and I've made this this oatmeal a good bit. Uh, The quick oats from Walmart, off-brand, it's a half a cup of oats to a cup of water, minute 40 seconds in the microwave, bam, you got oatmeal. It's great. Um, but you know, sometimes I just get the proportions wrong. I don't know how. But it just doesn't always turn out right. You know, there's nothing worse than thin oatmeal. Runny oatmeal. More water than oats. But that describes our trust so often, doesn't it? Runny and thin. Lukewarm. The microwave was unplugged. It didn't get cooked. And that's the kind of trust that at this point the Israelites had. A thin trust. They said, look, it'd be better to serve Pharaoh than Yahweh. What a statement. Did they really just say that out loud? How many times have we thought something along those lines? What's impossible in your life? What's impossible? As you look at your life, You've got a terrible choice over here and a worse one over here. There's just no way forward. And we think there's no way. There's no way this is going to turn out okay. Or even if it doesn't turn out okay, there's no way. I don't get through it. What's impossible? Well, they might have had thin faith, but not Moses. Moses shines here. This is like the shining moment of his ministry. He hears them and he says in 13 and 14, Fear not! Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord which He will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you 
And you have to fight really hard and do tough things and micromanage the situation. Well, the text actually says you only have to be silent. You only have to be silent. Do we trust the Lord well? In my life, the answer is often no. I trust Him for the big things better than I do the small things. Is that the way for you? The small things become big things. Especially when I look down and I try to micromanage. And I run to action instead of running to the Lord. And I run to fear instead of faith. And and what I perceive takes more precedent over the things that I know from God's Word. The things of the Spirit are testifying to my soul. What did Moses tell people to do? Stand still. The Lord will fight for you. And so, God gives them impossible orders. Verse 15, tell the people of Israel to go forward. Where? you got two fords at this, at this time. Ford right into the Egyptians or forward right into the sea. Now, we've read this text before. We've heard this story before. We'll see it again when they cross the Jordan. We did, and we studied Joshua many moons ago. But, but this is the first time anybody's ever thought about walking through water. They look at that water and think, that's deadly water, wide water, deep water. There's no salvation for there, through there. And God says, go forward. And he tells Moses to raise your stick. Raise the staff, which we've seen before in all the mighty pl- many of the mighty plagues over Egypt. And divide it. Divide the waters. What looked impossible to man, in the words of the lips of Gabriel, as he spoke to Mary in Luke one thirty seven, for nothing will be impossible with God. You know the time that I struggle the most with mixed faith, I believe, help my unbelief, is when I cannot see a way forward. When I look at a situation and say, there's no possible way out of this. There's no possible way that I can see this being okay. Me surviving this, my family being okay, whatever it is, the bill to pay, the, the, the heartache with the child, the relationship this, this rough. I can't see a way forward. But don't you know that when our faith is based on what we can perceive, that's not faith at all. When our trust is based on what, what we can understand about a situation and figure out on our own, my friends, that's not trust in God. That's trust in ourselves and that will only fail us every time. Instead, we're called to have trust in the one who does those things which appear to be impossible. Fear fear and faith are like oil and water, and I find myself repenting of fear all the time. Do you? I believe. Help my unbelief. It it may not be a, a bajillion Egyptians coming my way, but there have been plenty other moments. And it's amazing sometimes to me how small my adversary must be before I start wigging out. God calls us not to blind faith because we have lots of information about our God, how He provides for His people and works on our behalf. Only be silent and stand still. So God provides uh, salvation. He provides a way through. Uh, We find that um, the pillar... Uh, a fire and cloud that it, we learned about last week. It moves from, from guiding God's people around to stand between God's people and the Egyptians. 
The text is a little unclear at this point, but it appears that on one side is darkness and on one side is light. It is light for the Israelites, it is dark for the Egyptians, this is nighttime. Not 100% that's going on here, but it looks like that's what's going on here. And all night long, God sends an east wind to dry out that part of the Red Sea. It's a big area. I always thought of this as, you know, kind of the size of this aisle. But we're talking two to three million people. And this is going to happen in a night. So it can't be an aisle. This has got to be a big space. A big space because indeed the whole Egyptian army is going to fit in this space in order to be covered over by the waters. It's a big area. But I've always wondered what this would look like. The Hebrew here is for the walls on the right and left or for high city gate walls, big walls. Like Think like the roof of our church here walls. Could you see the fish? Do you think you could see the fish swimming through? What would it be like? Would it be a, a sheer face or would it be ripples? I've just always wondered what that would look like. As they walk through, would the children want to say, hey, Mama, look at that? Would you want to run your hands through it? Or would you scurry as fast as you could? Because it's not normal to walk on dry ground in the middle of a Red Sea. But God provided a way through. They walked on dry ground. It wasn't muddy. It was dry ground. And you know, it was mixed faith. But there was faith here which describes our experience, right? I believe, help my unbelief, it's mixed. But there is faith there because if we are in Christ and we have the Spirit working in us, giving us the faith to call upon our Savior, even if it's just as small as a mustard seed. Hebrews 11 says, By faith the people crossed the Red Sea on dry ground, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. Y'all, the good news is that when our faith is mixed... God doesn't just abandon us. Man, you can't get your act together. I'm not going to help you. When your children are having a hard time and, and they're, you know, wigging out and, and they're crying, do you just say, okay, I'm not helping you? You walk away and you abandon your children. That's what you do, right? Of course not. You help them. You help them anyway. Sometimes you have to hold them. Hold them down. Especially get those shots at the doctor, right? So the next time they'll trust you more. And when our faith is mixed with doubt, God still helps us. When we are faithless, He is still faithful because He loves us. And He sent His Son to die for us. I believe, help my unbelief. And so the people walk on dry ground and they get to the other side. God provided them not only salvation through the Red Sea, a place to walk, but He also provided them salvation from the Egyptian army. At some point, when they had gotten far enough down or on the other side, God is going to um, move the pillar of fire and cloud somehow, and they're going to make their way into the heart of the Red Sea. And as they go, they can taste victory in their mouths. And then God does something. He confuses them. He sends them into a panic. Here is the world's superpower army. These are the elite of the elite. Pharaoh himself is most likely with them. And then all of a sudden, they're in a panic. And then something happens to their chariot wheels. It's unnatural. They're on dry ground. It's unclear from the Hebrew. It either clogged them or or took them off completely. The Hebrew literally says that God took the wheels off the chariots. Talk about a way to, to, um, to deal with a chariot. Just take their wheels off. Then all of a sudden, the seas started coming in. The walls like a trash compactor. 
The east wind stopped and they came rushing upon the entire Egyptian army and not one of them was left. The Egyptian army who you see today, Moses told them, you'll never see again. God's people on the other side, they saw the dead bodies. They saw the the corpses of the horses rising to the top of the water. The chariots were floating in pieces. And far in the distance, you could see the baggage train of the Egyptians turn around, head back home. And so, my friends, we find ourselves like our Hebrew brothers and sisters 3,400 years ago with mixed faith. Some good days, some bad days, a lot of days in between. But do you know, it's not our faith that saves us. It's Christ who saves us. That when our, weak, when our faith is weak, our Savior is strong. The object of our faith is always strong and always there. He is always trustworthy. He is faithful. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. How do we know this? How do we know we can trust Him? Because there was another corpse. There was another corpse due to the judgment of God. And that was the corpse of our Savior, Jesus. It wasn't floating in the Red Sea. But the waves of God's wrath had indeed poured over him. And as Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus arrived to take his still warm corpse, dead weight, the one who created the heavens and the earth, the seas and the dry land, and all that is in them, the dead weight of our Savior... Off the cross. They wrapped him in linen cloths and put him in a sealed tomb. Things looked impossible. Death had come to the Messiah. The hopes of Israel were dashed. The Prince of Peace was dead. But what appeared impossible with man was possible with God. Our Savior would walk through death just like the Israelites would walk through the Red Sea. And he would rise on the third day victorious over death, victorious over the grave, that all those who put their faith in him might have salvation, might have life. My friends, our Savior lives. He is trustworthy. We believe. Help our unbelief. Let's pray. O Lord, help our unbelief. Cast again before our eyes our Savior and remind us of your faithfulness that we, like the Israelites, might sing of the redemption that we have in Christ. We thank you for the victory that is ours. We believe, O Lord, help our unbelief. In the name of Jesus we ask it. Amen.